Um, uh, let's open up our Bible. So 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. If you don't have your Bible with you or you need a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew back in front of you. You can grab that Bible and you can turn to 1 John chapter 4 or page 1023. Um, it's all the way at the end. If, you, if you're in Revelation, you've gone too far. You just got to go a couple of books over. The books are kind of small. If you're just joining us, we're in an Advent series. Advent is the celebration, right, of the arrival of Jesus and also is the anticipation, meaning we're awaiting his return, his coming back. So in view of that, in view of what God has done through his son Jesus uh, through a child and in view of what God will do in the culmination of a new heavens and earth when Jesus returns, we celebrate by looking at four words. Um, we looked at hope, peace. Yeah, peace. I was like, sorry, I forget. Um, and this week we'll look at love. And if you want, want to know anything about love, you read um, John. You either read the Gospel of John or you read the letters of John. John is often referred to as the apostle of love. Love, 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 love. So this morning we'll talk about love. I often think of, I'm terrible at illustrations, but when I, when I thought of this one, I usually think of the more, more unsanctified illustrations. I'm thinking of the song, famous song about love. How many of you can think about, think about a song, right? The song that I thought about was uh, the great, by the great philosopher, uh, Tina Turner. Um, <laughs> what does love got to do with it? Someone, actually two people texted me and was like, well, a better song is uh, All You Need Is Love by the Beatles, right? And for those of you who are sitting there, what is that? Um, come out of your cave. <laughs> there is music beyond Southern gospel um, that you can listen to. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm in a mood um, this morning. First John chapter four, let me read the Bible before I get struck by lightning. First uh, John chapter four, we're gonna look at two verses, um, verses nine and 10, only nine and 10, but I'm gonna read a couple of verses ahead and I'll read a couple of verses after to kind of give you an idea of, of what John is talking about. Remember, this is John the beloved. This is John, um, the one who, who um, laid on Jesus' chest. This is John, the one that Jesus spoke to um, at the foot of the cross. And he says, you know, he, he gives Mary to, jo to, to John and says, now Mary's your mom, looked after her, watch over her. Um, she is your mom now um, as I'm leaving. So this is John, the, the beloved, as he's often referred to. And this is what John says. I'm going to read verse 7, and then um, we're going to camp out in 9 and 10. Verse 7 says on page 1023 in the Pubeck Bible in front of you, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Verse 9 in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This is a testimony of God's love to us. And my question for you this morning, when was the last time you told someone you loved them? Do you remember the last time someone told you that they loved you or that they love you? I'm not just talking about a romantic love, right? This is, right? <laughs> talking about a, I'm talking about a true, genuine love, right? A, a true, authentic love, right? Where you told someone, I love you. Or you heard it said, I love you. When was the last time you heard those words? Also, <laughs> we use the word love for a lot of things. You've, you've probably heard this, right? I mean, people use the word love to describe some joy or contentment that they're feeling. I love my cat, right? I love my dog. No? Some of you probably love your cat and dog more than you love your spouse, I'm sure. Or, or you hear people say, I love this dress. I love this food. I love the browns. Yeah. That's a weird love, but hey, I mean, love, all right. Or for the young people, I love Taylor Swift. I love this coffee. I love this song. We use the word love often, don't we? But when God says he loves you, does he mean it the same way we use it? When God says, I love you, does he mean it the same way you, we use the word love for, for our cats, our pets, the clothes that we wear, the coffee that we drink, the location of the vacation we went on. Does he mean it that way? I imagine everyone in the room would say, no, that, that's, that's not the love that the Bible talks about. The love that God talks about in the scripture is an agape love. It's a deep love. It's a love that's demonstrated through a sacrifice. This morning, we're gonna look at God's love. The reason why we're going to look at God's love this morning is because in the world that we live in and because of our sin, love has been tainted. The way the world loves is not the way that God loves. In the world, the world loves selfishly. The world loves based on feelings and emotions. I, I think I've shared this story before um, a long time ago. Um, in the high school ministry, when I was the high school director, um, we had this major debate. I like to stir the pot. 
Um, if you don't know, welcome to the chapel where we stir pots here. Um, and I asked this question that like threw everyone in a tizzy. And the question was, what is love? Is it an emotion or an action? Is it a feeling or an action? And all the kids say, what do you think they said? That love is a what? A feeling. So we have volunteers. We had small group leaders in the room. What do you think the leaders said love was? Did they say it was an action or a feeling? And what do you think they said? It's an action. <laughs> and it's interesting, right? Because not that the kids were wrong, because love can be a feeling, but love doesn't begin with a feeling. In God's perspective, in God's view, love is way different. What we often talk about, what the world talks about love is often about what the thing or the person makes us feel, right? That's why we say, I love my cat. But you would never die for your cat, would you? And if you would, we need to talk. <laughs> I have a veterinarian back here that can help you on that. Um, right? We, we wouldn't die and sacrifice our life for clothing or objects, right? So when we talk about love, what the world talks about is that love is a feeling and love is, is the feeling that we feel about the thing or how that thing makes us feel. But God's love is quite different. So we have to talk about love in a biblical sense because our world does not know love. Our world cannot understand love because apart from Jesus, you don't know what true love is. And the beauty about God's love is that you don't have to be married to know what true love is. Oftentimes, right, among single people, there's this deep desire to know what love is in a romantic sense, which is really good, but there's a better love. Some of us, right, who, who want that, that familiar love, right? I'm, I think of people in our room even today who, who've lost a loved one, a spouse, a child, who would do anything if they could, to bring back their child, to bring back their spouse back to life again, to experience that love. But in the midst of that grief, there is a love much deeper that you could experience through the grief. And that is God's love. People so want intimate love, romantic love. People want a love or a, a love that, that you share with a friend. The Bible talks about a better love. In fact, a love that's everlasting, a love that will never go away, a love that you and I are going to experience in eternity because we get to see the love face to face. And for all of eternity, you and I will know what true love is. This morning, you can experience that love. In fact, this morning, if you are a believer in Christ, you have known that love, you have experienced that love. The love that I'm talking about is the love that God has for you and me. So, what is God's love? We see it oftentimes, it's called agape, but, but the Bible 
what it does is it shows us, it gives us an illustration, a perfect illustration of what love is. And John talks about this love. And the first thing that you would notice in verses nine and 10, that the love that John talks about, the love of God is an action. It's not just God saying he loves you. Right, oftentimes, I saw a video one time, a viral video on Instagram. It was this little girl and her dad, and she's repeating these words. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? The love that we see in the Bible, the love that God has for his people is a love that's demonstrated in action. You don't have to ask God if he loves you. You know that God loves you because he's shown you how he loves you. There's so many people that are asking for love. Do you love me? Uh, So many relationships that have no love and they're looking for love. They're looking for a demonstration of love and yet the Bible makes it clear. You don't have to ask. There's so many people even in our room, probably watching online, who don't feel loved, who wonder if God loves them, who are overwhelmed maybe with their sin, who are overwhelmed with life's problems and they're wondering, God, do you love me? John says, yes, God loves you. How do you know if God loves you? Because of his actions. How does the world love The world loves not in action. The world's love is is emotional. It's only in word, but not in deed. If you look at the movies nowadays, love is about sex. Love is only about what you can do for me and what I can do for you. And, And the moment that you stop doing what I want you to do for me, It's no longer love, right? I fell out of love with this person. I'm no longer in love with this person. You hear this a lot in relationships. I no longer love you. God's love doesn't go away. God's love doesn't disappear. God's love is not contingent on your faithfulness. God's love is not contingent on how good you are or how good you think. God's love is everlasting. Secondly, what you'll see in this passage is that God's love is not only in action, but it's also selfless. Look at verse nine. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That means it's a visible love, a love that you and I can see, that God sent his son, his only son, into the world so that we might have life through him. C.S. Lewis said, love is not an affectionate feeling, but a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it could be obtained. It's a selfless love. God saw you and me hopeless. God saw you and me in complete need. And what he did was, what I often hear preachers say, God bankrupt all of heaven 
He thought of you first. He thought of your eternal destiny. He thought of your pathway to sin and death and your ultimate rejection of him. And he said, because I love you, I'm going to think of your ultimate good. And what you ultimately need is spiritual renewal. What you need is a new life. What you need is a new identity, a new purpose, a new reason for living. And I'm going to give that to you, but it's going to cost me something. I'm going to extend grace and mercy, but I'm going to have to take on the burden to do it. That is true love. A love that is selfless. The world's love Selfish. Have you ever met a selfish person? I have. I've been selfish in the past, and sometimes I'm a little selfish. What do selfish people do? They think of themselves. They think of other people as means, objects, opportunities to manipulate, to gain what they want, to achieve what they need. Selfish people don't think about others in need. They don't think about you. They think about themselves. That's the type of love that our world wants, a selfish love. That it's focused on the ego, that's focused on the individual. God's love says no. It's, it's not selfish. I'm going to extend my love. I'm going to give up something so that other people, in fact, to give it up to a bunch of people who don't even want it. That is the love that you and I experience. See, the, the, the world today, when it celebrates Christmas, thinks about gifts. It just thinks about like the, the, the commercialized version of Christmas. And, and, and this morning, you and I have the opportunity to focus our attention on a love that was gracious and kind and undeserving when you and I can oftentimes be selfish. Think about that. You and I, selfish. And yet God says, I still love you. Third thing that we see in this passage, God's love is in action. God's love is selfless. God's love is also sacrificial. As I said before, God had to give up something so that you can have life. And what did God the Father had to give up? He had to give up his one and only son. God's love is sacrificial. That is what true love is. You lay down your agenda. You lay down your preference. You lay down your own desires to seek another person's ultimate good. And whatever you truly desire, you give it up. God's love is sacrificial. I think of the story of Abraham. How many of you remember the story of Abraham and Isaac? God promised, you don't know the story, go back to Genesis. It's in Genesis chapter 22. Abraham, God tells Abraham, Abraham, I'm gonna make you a father of, of, of many people. You can't even count them. Abraham kind of chuckles. He's like, ha ha, joke's on you. 
my wife can't have kids. And God says, no, she's going to have a kid. So what happens? Abraham has a kid. He calls him Isaac. Then God says, I need you to sacrifice your son. Without any hesitation, Abraham responds and says, okay. I can't imagine what he's thinking, but he says, okay. Takes his son Isaac, a couple of servants. They're going to go up to a mountain and they're going to make a sacrifice. Isaac doesn't know that he's the sacrifice. Abraham, in his mind, knows that he's the sacrifice. Isaac says to Abraham, what are we doing here? I thought we were going to go sacrifice to God. Where's the sacrifice? Abraham responds, the Lord will provide. They go up to the mountain. Abraham has to lay his son on the altar. He's about to kill his son. And right before Abraham kills his son, God intervenes and says, no, don't kill him. And then God is awesome. Actually, God does provide. There's a ram in the thicket that they end up sacrificing. Um, God was testing Abraham. We can talk about tests in the future, but he was testing him on his faithfulness. But the real story of Abraham and Isaac is that a father will one day have to sacrifice his son. And there will be no one who, to intervene. And it would be the father who would have to decide. And the father is going to have to sacrifice his own son. So that what? So that others can live. The story of Abraham and Isaac is a picture of what God the father had to do for you. That is called a sacrificial love that I think many of us will never understand because I guarantee you there are people in this room who have kids would never offer up their child, especially their only child. Right? If, if someone, someone said, listen, all these people in this room can live, you have to kill your son, I bet you everyone would say, no, not my son. That is true love. That it's real love, right? What does John 15 say? John 15 says, he tells us this in the gospel. Greater love has no one than this, than someone laying down his life for his friends. You know the crazy part about that verse? It's not talking about a spouse. It's not talking about a child. It's talking about a friend. I'm sure many of us would sacrifice our own lives for our children and our families, how many of us would sacrifice our own families for someone who didn't deserve it? That is true love. There is no sacrificial love in our world. No one wants to give up their preferences. No one wants to give up their pride. No one wants to give up their agenda. No one wants to be selfless, but God, God says, I'll do it. This is the beauty of the gospel. 
that you didn't have to do anything to achieve new life. It was paid for, for you. So as the world is celebrating the gifts, family, friends, which is all good. There's nothing wrong with getting gifts. If you want to give me a gift, I can, I can give you a list of things that Santa said I can have. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with gifts. There's nothing wrong with spending family. But our focus and our attention, right? The reason why we celebrate, the reason why we remember is that the ultimate love demonstrated to us the same way, not even the same way, the way that you demonstrate your love to your children during the holidays or family and friends by offering a gift. God demonstrates his love to us by offering us the greatest gift that you and I could ever have. And John says it's life through him. A sacrificial love that costed him something that cost you nothing. You think it's so hard to be a Christian? You think it's hard to be a Christian? It should be easy for us when we think about the magnitude of what God had to do for you and me. And then we find it difficult to love people in the church. We find it difficult to love people in our community. You who, who deserve hell, you who were destined to hell, who, who deserves the wrath of God against you? God saves you and then you're complaining about other people? God who sacrificed his son so that you can have life and you're bitter and angry? Shame on all of us. Shame on you and me who have taken advantage of that love. But the great thing is that God is rich in his mercy, that you and I can have a rightful view of what love is and demonstrate that love to other people. God's love is sacrificial, which leads me to my next point. God's love is directed to the most undeserving people, you and me. Think about that for a minute. Think about the sins that you've committed in your life. Think about all the wrong things that you've done to other people, the wrong things you've said, the wrong things that you've thought. Think about that and think about this. You don't deserve God's love and yet he extends his love to you. John Stott says, but God loves sinners who are unworthy of his love. And indeed, subject to his wrath, he loved us and sent his son to rescue us, not because we are lovable, but because he is love. So the greatness of his love is seen in the costliness of his self-sacrifice for an unholy, deserving people. You and I don't deserve love, and yet we get to experience the words of Paul in Romans chapter 5, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, for one who scarcely died for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Romans 8, Romans 5, 8, you know it. But God shows his love for us in while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. 
You don't deserve God's love and yet God extends his love. You who do not know how to love and yet God's love is for you. Have you guys ever read the book Hosea or Hosea? I like to say Hosea. I think that's a Spanish way of pronouncing it. I, I could be wrong, but I think you guys pronounce it Hosea, right? Hosea, it's a minor prophet in the Old Testament. God tells um, the prophet Hosea, he says, listen, I want you to do me a favor. I need you to go marry a prostitute. This is true. This is in the Bible. And Hosea says, okay. Who does he end up marrying? Do you, do you know her name? Gomer, there we go. Sunday school. <laughs> Get to church. Go to class. Learn your Bible. All right. Um, he marries Gomer. And, and you know Gomer. Gomer's a prostitute. In fact, Gomer ends up leaving Hosea a couple of times. Like, Hosea is actual, like, he, he, he's embarrassed by this. Like, this is unheard of. A prophet of God does not go marry a prostitute, Right? The pastor of the chapel doesn't go out and pick out a woman in the street and marry her, right? Like, that's unheard of. That's what God says. God tells him, go marry a prostitute. She runs away. God says, go get her. Bring her back. And he brings her back. The whole point of the story of, of Hosea, of why Hosea marries Gomer, because it's a picture of God and God's people. Right? You would think of a prostitute, someone who doesn't deserve true love, someone who's been unfaithful, someone who doesn't know how to love, doesn't deserve that love, and yet the prophet Hosea has to marry her, loves her, cares for her, and that's a picture of God and his people, right? That he loves them even when they don't love him back. And then you read in Hosea, you know what God says about Israel? He says, Israel has whored after other gods. Israel does not love me. Israel has gone far away from me. And yet, I still love her. That's the love that you and I experience when we come to Christ. A love that we do not deserve, but a love that has been given to us. A free gift that you and I experience every single day. And if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus... You can have that love. You can experience that love. A love that never fails. A love that's always faithful. A love that you never have to question or doubt whether he loves you. You know he loves you. You know he cares for you. Just like the prophet Hosea, God loves you. God's love is directed to people who don't deserve love. Have you ever in your life said, I don't deserve love for whatever reason? God says, no, I can love you. In fact, I love you. Lastly, what we see in verse 10. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Lastly, God's love is sufficient. In the Old Testament, they had to often and regularly make sacrifices before God to atone, to repent of their sin. And the problem with the sacrificial system that it was temporary, it wasn't lasting 
So if you lie, you cheated, you stole something, you fornicated, you lusted, whatever you did, you had to make a sacrifice before God. But then after you made that sacrifice, once you sinned, you had to do it again. John is saying is this, God's love is so sufficient that his sacrifice on the cross was once and done for you. You don't have to do anything to merit that love. Jesus takes on God's wrath. God's wrath is poured on his son as though you were on the cross. And Jesus satisfies God's wrath, defeating sin and death so that what John says, you can have life through him. God's love is sufficient. Hebrews eleven twelve says, but when Christ had offered for all a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. In other words, God's love is sufficient to satisfy the cost So what should be our response? Well, if you are a believer in this room, if you have experienced God's love at one time, meaning that you have submitted to God's lordship and kingship, you pursue him, you follow him, what should be your response? It's easy, John says it. Love other people. You want to demonstrate to others what God has done for you. And the way you love other people is the same way that way God loves you. You are selfless. You are sacrificial. You direct that love to the people who, who irk you, who drive you crazy, who don't deserve the love, who are bitter and angry and resentful. You show them love the way God has showed you love. The person that you don't want to love, the person who makes it hard to love, you keep loving them. You serve them. You think of their highest interest. You pursue them in the body of Christ. You watch over them. You be with them. You care for them. Then you love the world. In this sense, right? Because the Bible says, don't love the world. You love people by showing the truth of the gospel and their need of it. You don't shy away from telling people, hey, listen, God loves you in this, that he sent his son so that you can be in right standing with God. You can have a relationship with God. And for the unbeliever in this room. You can experience God's love this morning. I don't know where you're at in your spiritual walk, but I'm sure there's at least a couple of people in this room who you do a good job looking like a Christian, but on the inside, you are not. You can experience God's love, and the only thing that you have to do here, look, the only, there's no magical pill. There's not, the only thing you have to do is one that you have to acknowledge you're standing before God, that you are wretched, you are sinful, and you need help. 
And the only thing you have to do is repent of your sin. You just got to tell God, God, I am sorry for the life that I lived apart from you. But now I, in view of the cross, in view of your calling, you opened up my eyes. You opened up my heart. You reached down for heaven. You extended love and grace and mercy to me. And in response of you illuminating my heart and mind to do that, I am going to pursue you. And I'm going to love the way you love. You can do that this morning. For the believer is to love other people the way Christ has loved you. And for the unbeliever is to know and pursue the love that God has for you through the cross. Let's pray. If you are a believer in this room, Take a minute, thank God for the love that he has extended to you, and then also ask God to reveal to you the places in your life and in your mind that you haven't loved well or that you have loved something more than you loved God. And for the unbeliever in the room, this is your time to make peace with God, asking him to be ruler and Lord over your life. Father God, we need you. We need you in our world. We need you in our lives. We need you in our church. Lord, I ask that we would draw near to you in ways that only testify of your great love for us and that we would draw near to others to show your love to them. God, I also pray for the people who do not know you. I pray for the loved ones, the kids, the family members who don't know you. I pray for the people in this room who grieve the loss of a loved one. God, would you fill us up again with your spirit? Fill us up with love. Remind us of the love that we have in you. And Lord, we wait patiently in hope that one day we are going to see the fulfillment of your great love, your redempting plan in our lives where we get to see Jesus face to face. As we wait, Lord, that we would wait patiently. We pray this in Christ's name and the people of God say. This has been a message from the chapel in Akron, Ohio. Thanks for joining us today. Our Sunday morning services are at 9 and 10.40 a.m. You can join us online for our services by going to akronlive.thechapel.life. For more information about the chapel, please visit our website at thechapel.life.